You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I've titled this message this morning, Help for the Day of of trouble, and uh, I think it's safe to say that we've been living in challenging and stressful times, as the Bible says here in Psalm 27, days of trouble. Um, It seems that we're finally coming out of some of this trouble. Uh, Restrictions are, are being lifted, people are traveling, but at the same time, it seems like we're being plunged back into uncertainty with the war that is going on in Ukraine and rising gas prices, rising food prices, interest rates, inflation, all of that. And and what what does this do to our hearts? What, what, What often does it do to our hearts? It causes us to fear. Uncertainty, I don't know about you, I, I hate uncertainty. And it causes our hearts to worry It causes our hearts to fear, and it causes our hearts to be be anxious, to worry again about the future. And one thing that we have learned over the last two years is that that things don't often work out as planned, right? Life can get so unpredictable. Plans can change rather quickly. Quickly. And yes, ultimately, we don't know what the future holds. Life does not always work out the way we plan or expect it. And the question that I have here this morning, and I think the psalm here, as as I've read the psalm, sort of begs this question, is, is how have you responded or how are you responding to this day of trouble? How are you responding? How has your, your heart responded? James 1, 3 and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So these days of trouble are meant to do something, are meant to encourage us, are meant to help us to grow, uh, cause, what, is it, what does it say in, in James 3? Causes steadfastness. It, it, it's meant to cause us to be better Christians, stronger Christians, more loving Christians, more steadfast. Amen. Is that happening? Is that how you've responded? Is that what is going on in your heart here this morning? I, I like what... Samuel Rutherford uh, said, he said, the greatest temptation out of hell is to live without trials. A pool of standing water, he says, will turn stagnant. Faith grows more with the sharp winter storm in its face. Grace withers without adversity. He says, you cannot sneak quietly into heaven without a cross. Crosses form us into his image. They cut away the pieces of our corruption. I know that's, that's powerful. I, I hate trials. I hate trouble. I hate uncertainty. Well, maybe hate's a strong word, but I don't like them. 
But we know that God works in our hearts and in our lives. Scripture again and again tells us that. And the question again is how, how has your heart responded? How is your heart responding? Have you grown stronger in your faith? Have you, have you, have you grown more committed in your faith, more love for God? Or, or has fear dominated or paralyzed your faith? Your life has have you been robbed of your joy? Remember in James it says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters? Has your heart grown cold to the things of the Lord? I don't know, it's so easy for that to happen. So very easy to let, let worry, panic, fear, anxiety just dominate. When things are uncertain, when there's days of trouble. Notice what David is going through here. Verse 3, it says here, Though an army encamped against me. It says a war is rising against me. Verse 5, it says day of trouble. Verse 12, it says, um, Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Now, I've never had anyone breathe out violence to me, like David has here. But I'm sure I would be tempted to respond in fear and anxiety. But here he says he is confident. Yet, verse 3, I will remain confident. Verse 6, it says, I will offer in his tent sacrifice, sacrifices of joy. So, so what he's telling us here is that, that we can have joy in days of trouble, that we don't have to be robbed of our joy, that we can be strengthened, we can grow. And I think what this psalm teaches us is that not only can we survive the days of trouble, but we can thrive in the days of trouble. We don't have to lose our joy. We don't have to lose our witness. And I think this this psalm gives us sort of a a pathway to joy, a, a direction for us, not only when we're in the midst of trials, but, but also in the future, because we know that we will face days of trouble to help us be prepared so that we will not lose our joy or be paralyzed by fear. If by God's grace you make Christ the Lord of your life, you can thrive, you can grow in whatever situation you find yourself in. Or as H.B. Charles put it, and he put it well, he says this, You can face anything if Jesus is your everything. Amen? Amen? Isn't that good? You can face anything if Jesus is your everything. And that's what this psalm is teaching. He goes on to say that that, that this psalm is like CPR for the Christian heart, for the fearful heart. For the heart that's been paralyzed by anxiety and fear. And so this morning I want to give that heart of yours that desperately needed CPR so it can breathe again to regain our joy. And for those of you who have not been robbed of joy to increase your joy this morning because of the God that we serve. So if it is true that you can face anything, if Jesus is your everything, then you will, first of all, courageously or boldly embrace truth. Embrace truth. 
Notice how it starts in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I think this is amazing the way this, that this psalm starts. David here is not afraid. He is someone who displays this courage and confidence that only can come from God. Well, what truths are he in, is he embracing here? Well, we're going to talk about verse 1, I think, talks about truth about who God is. Verse 2 talks about um, truth about the past. And I think verse 3, again, helps us to think about the future. So let's talk about, first of all, what he says about who God is. Who God is to him in the day of trouble. He says some foundational things about God. I think, why does he start here? I think it reveals to us something very important about David because it shows us where his true security lies, where his true hope lies, right? Because it's not in his wealth because King David was, had lots of wealth. It wasn't in himself. He, he was a very smart guy and, and, and a skilled warrior. It was not, but in, in his army, he had a lot of great warriors in his army. No, it was in, in the Lord. It was in God. That's where his trust is. And that's why we can have confidence in the day of trouble. So he says, first of all here, that the Lord is my light. He's my light. David found, him in a t- found himself in a tight spot here, a, a dark time, but, but the Lord is, is helping him guide, go through and is guiding him through this darkness. You know what? What is interesting about this psalm is that David does not know how things are going to turn out like like completely, it's not completely, no, because I believe this psalm was written when he was in the midst of his day of trouble. He hasn't seen the end yet. But God is, the Lord is guiding him. He did not know how it would turn out, but the Lord is his light. The Bible talks a lot about light, especially when it comes to Jesus, the greater David who walked the earth. He says in John 1, verse 4, in him, or John says this, in him was life, talking about Jesus, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John 1, 9, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 3, 19, it says, this is the verdict, light has come to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And then in John 8, it says, Jesus spoke again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And what does light do? It gives direction in the dark. It helps us to see clearly. That's what he is talking. Without light, we are spiritually blind. Without the light of the Lord shine in our, shone in our hearts and our minds, we, we walk in darkness. We don't see the world as we should or as God sees it. And I think here it's about perspective, right? It helps us with perspective. Oftentimes, when we are consumed or paralyzed by fear, it's because we don't have the right perspective in life, right perspective according to God's word. And he's saying here that the Lord gives him this direction, this this light. He's he's guiding his, his path and following the Lord and his revealed will gives us the perspective and perspective, boy, man, it changes things, doesn't it? 
changes things. Even here in the threat of war, the very possibility that he might die, he sees God's perspective. Listen to what Paul Tripp says about this. He says, in a world that is held in such deep darkness, where the light of truth often seems more like a flicker than a flame, in a world where deceit and dishonesty, falsehood and foolishness divert uh, the lives of so many in times, when a myriad of voices say so much about so many things, where confusion seems readily available and clarity seems so hard to find, in a world where opinions rise to a place where only truth should be, and every voice seems to get equal hearing, in a constant catastrophe uh, of 10,000 contrary or contradictory voices, it is wonderful and amazing thing to be able to say with the rest and with confidence, the Lord is my light. He says, my heart has been lifted or been lit by the illuminating and protective glory, powerful and transforming grace. My mind has been renewed by the luminescent presence of his truth guiding us. And for one reason that David is not afraid here is that the Lord is his light. The Lord is my light. He is not afraid. We no longer walk in the night, but have been given the light of life because the light lives in me. This is what gives us rest. And we need this perspective in the day of trouble. That is why we need to courageously embrace truth. It helps us. It gives us perspective. I remember a conference speaker once at a, at a I think it was a basics conference, um, Alistair Begg conference. And I remember the, the speaker once waking up in the morning, he tells us about his perspective every day, what he does every day, his routine to help him get perspective in life. And uh, he wakes up in the morning and asks himself three questions. And the question, first question is, when was I converted? He said, and, he, and, he, and he remembers Romans 8.30. He says, and those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And, and in, in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, it says, Praise be to God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Then he asks the question, how does God feel about me? And he says there, but God demonstrates in Romans 5, 8, his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God feels about us. And then he asks, well, why is today a great day? And he reads Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, why is today better than yesterday? And he reads Romans 8, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. In other words, we're one day closer to glory. Amen. This is the perspective that we often need. The Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? 
And he talks also here, secondly, about the Lord is my salvation. He is the, this means deliverance. He believes that God can and will deliver him. He is the one who can save him. And what he is trying to say to us, I think, is that, that no situation that you find yourself in is hopeless. Like, here's an army encamped around him. People are breathing out violence against him. And he says here, the Lord is my salvation. It doesn't say that his military strategies or his military alliances or his powerful weapons, only God can give the victory. He knows who will come to the rescue. He came to the point in his life where he realized he cannot save himself. There's no salvation in him. Only God can save and as Christians, we can courageously know and believe that we will never be without help or without hope in the day of trouble. Isn't that encouraging? And I know here he is saved from physical enemies and armies, but the Bible does talk about a greater day of trouble that is coming. A greater day of the Lord, God's wrath and judgment because of our sin. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, flee to Christ because only he can save you from that day. Only he can bring salvation. Only he can save you. And God is our salvation because he sent his son, Jesus. It also says here that the Lord is our stronghold. He runs to the Lord. He's his stronghold. He's his sense of security. He's in a place to hide So we learn truths here about God. What truths about God are you learning about, studying about, thinking about in your day of trouble? It's amazing to think these things, think God's thoughts after him in the day of trouble, and it helps us. It gives us our heart, the, 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 the encouragement that we so desperately need. That's why it's so important. And it's amazing, a day of trouble, how easily you forget. You know, it seems like, you know, I've studied theology for, for many years. I've got degrees in theology. And it's amazing when days of trouble come, how easily we forget everything <laughs> that we've just learned, that I've learned, that I've studied. That's why it's so important always to be in the Word, always to remind us of the truth of who God is. But not only do we confidently embrace the truth in knowing who God is, but I think what he talks, he's, as he's talking here in verse 2, he's, he's, he's also remembering truth about the past. Notice, when evildoers assail me, eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble for Well, how does he know that? Well, I think part of it is because, because of he experienced God's grace in the past in answering his prayer, and he is looking back to see what he'd faced in the past. And, and, and as he was talking about this deliberate assault, and it probably started with, with words, and, and then it, it escalated into war, and, and he realizes that, 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 that in the past, he went through similar experiences, and that he experienced God's grace, but no. And of course, God, who was faithful back then, will be faithful now. Is that encouraging? He's determined to remember what God has done. 
how God has helped him in the past. And notice verse 5, it says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. His past victories were trophies of God's grace. And he remembers in his life that he is a trophy of God's grace as well. And I think that's what the past is meant to be for us. To remember things, to take an account of how God has wonderfully provided in the past to help us. To get the right perspective for the future and for the present struggle that you might be in. And my wife and I, we've been a number of times where our future career and future finances were uncertain. And we saw God providing in so many ways, in such a gracious way, in his will and his timing, his perfect timing. This helps us to know that God is good and that God is perfect in his timing, that he is in control and that he will provide what is necessary for you to walk through the day of trouble. Do you believe that? That he will give you that grace. And we praise God for him. So remind yourselves of past experiences. And then I think, then lastly about talking about the day of truth and talking about truth. Notice he has confidence for the future. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though they war against me, yet I will be confident. And I think he realizes, he, he recognizes he's in that spot again. He's in the middle of the day of trouble. It's not at the end of it. He's in the middle of it. And, 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 and if you look, the, the first part of this psalm just exudes confidence in God. He's telling his heart all these true things about God. The second half, as we'll get to in a moment, he talks about this, there's this prayer he's calling out for help. It is because he is confident knowing what, who God is, what God has done, that he will, God will help, and that's why he's calling out for help. That's why we call out in prayer. That he, that the Lord will help him Hide him in the day of trouble. Conceal him under his tent. Think about the care. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Church, do you believe that? That he cares deeply for you? That he loves you, that God, as I read earlier, God demonstrates love for this, that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin. He cares for you. He deeply cares for you. And that's why we're called to cast our anxiety upon him. Because he cares for you. So how have you responded in the day of trouble? How has your heart responded in the day of trouble? I know there's never a perfect response. We're still human. We do still respond in simple ways, but, but are you courageously embracing truth? Is he your light? Is he your salvation? Is he your stronghold? Or are you being paralyzed by fear and worry? Because when we take our eyes off him, that's oftentimes what consumes us. So if Christ is our everything, if, if we can face anything, if that is true, 
If we can face anything, if Christ is our everything, then we will courageously, boldly embrace truth. But not only that, we will pursue the Lord in everything. Seek the Lord in everything. Notice what it says in verse four. Uh, we, we, I think we get to the heart of the issue here. Notice verse four, it says, one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It was the Lord God that was his ultimate desire. Do you see that there? Notice he was a, a man under attack. The people were breathing out violence against him. And, and, and if you put me in that situation, what would I be asking for? What would be my one thing? I think, help me to be safe, right? Or, or help me to be victorious. But that's not what he asks for. It's not power or control or payback. The one thing he wants is God himself. That's his one desire. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in the Lord. That was what his one thing, that's what he was seeking. That's what he was thinking about. So he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. That is where God is in the old covenant, in the temple, in the house of the Lord. What is he asking for? He's asking for God's presence to be with him. He's asking for, to be where God is. He doesn't want God to leave him. He, he wants to be where God is. That, and, and that is only true. That is only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Bible talks about, in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, for, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. What? To bring us to God. To have that right relationship with God. David had a right relationship with God. And he wanted God. He wanted to be where God is. And then he also wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Wants God himself. Because he alone, he didn't want just the benefits of God. He wanted God himself. critical question for us here this morning and, and John Piper asks it in his book God is the Gospel it's, it's so critical and I want you to listen closely it says he asks this if you could have heaven with no sickness with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict and no natural disasters. And he asked this, with all of those things, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? He goes on to say, propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven. None of these is good news except for one reason. They bring us to God for everlasting enjoyment of him.
And he goes on to say this, and this is, again, very sobering. He says, if we believe all these things have happened to us, propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven, all that has happened to us, but do not embrace them for the sake of getting to God, they have not happened to us. Christ did not die to forgive sinners to go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God himself. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, he says, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get to heaven. It's a way to get people to God himself. Because it is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, he says, we've not been converted by the gospel. That's sobering, isn't it? And that's the title of his book is God is the Gospel. Because the gospel is meant to bring us to God himself. And that's what David is describing here, this beauty. I want to gaze upon the beauty. He wants the Lord himself. And yes, he not only wants God himself, but he wants to do what God wants. He wants to know God's will. And so that's what he says here as well, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Lord, what should I do? How, how can I follow you? What is your will in this situation? What is your direction I guess the question for us in days of trouble, who or what do we listen to? Are we desiring God and his word and his direction for our lives? Is that the one desire? Are we being governed more increasingly by the word of God? Everything that we, we, we think about God, everything that we do for God must be shaped by scripture. Shaped by his revealed will. What do we run to? Are you resting in God and his sweet sovereign hand and following his will, his directed, his revealed will? You want to know the will of God for your life? Read the Bible. You know, in difficult times, often has a way of exposing what we truly long for, right? What's truly precious to us. What we truly crave for. The one thing that will bring us happiness and joy. The, the, the trials and days of trouble expose that in our hearts. And what his day of trouble here in the psalm is exposing is where David's heart is at is he loves the Lord. He wants the Lord more than anything. That's his one thing. What has been your one thing in the day of your trouble? What has been your one thing? What are you talking about the most? Who are you listening to? What are you reading the most? 
Are you desiring God above all things in his word, that, his, that, that he would be glorified through your life, through your response to your day of trouble? That your witness will grow and that, that you will have a witness in the day of trouble? Where so, so often do we desire quick fixes, run after cheap thrills to sort of numb the pain, right? But David is not after that here in the psalm. And I want to encourage you that by God's grace, we can, God is your one thing. The Lord, that's the one desire you have. And, and, and if you've been paralyzed by, by, by fear, to, to encourage you that the Lord is your light and your salvation, your stronghold this morning. And if you are living that way in your day of trouble, to increase that joy, to, to increase that steadfastness, to increase pursuing God above all else, because he alone is God, he alone is worth it, he alone is able to help you in your day of trouble. And there's that invitation in Isaiah 55. It says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you have no money. Come buy any, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and unrighteousness in their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Come to him. Only he can satisfy. Only he can satisfy. Is your heart getting the CPR it needs this morning? I hope it does. hope it is. Because lastly, here this morning, I think David calls us here to rest in the goodness of God as we wait, as you wait. From verse 7 on, he talks about, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me. He is, again, here calling upon the Lord. And the psalm switches here from, from this confidence, uh, uh, confident truth and confident um, in, in, in his uh, pursuit of the Lord. And now here he goes, O Lord, when I cry out to you, be gracious to me and answer me. He's calling out in prayer here. I've heard that it said that prayer is the breath of the Christian life. You breathe out prayer and you breathe in grace. And that's what this psalm is describing here. I think we're, we're, we're led into a very, very sacred part where, where he's having this specific and personal conversation with the Lord. He's crying out to God, and it's okay to do that, to cry out to the Lord when you don't understand. He is wanting God to hear him in the midst of the day of trouble. He's crying out, and what do we learn? I think, I think notice what he says here in verse eight. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your, your face I do seek. What, what, what is he doing here? He, he, he's, in a sense, I think, preaching to himself, isn't he, in this prayer? 
He remembers what the Lord had said to him. And in his day of trouble, he is reminded of what he said. And he was remembered, you know, he was reminded of the fact that the Lord said, seek my face, seek me, seek me above everything. And he says, Lord, my heart said, I do seek you, Lord. Help me in all of this. I think he's teaching you an important lesson here. He is praying truth. He is speaking truth. He's reminding himself of truth. That's so important again, as we've already talked about. Uh, I guess, think about it. Who speaks to you the most in every, each and every day? Who speaks to you the most? Is it your, your kids, your spouse, your boss? No, it's you who speak to you most often in a day. You are speaking to yourself all the time. I like what Tripp says. He says, Paul Tripp says, he says, you're in an unending conversation with yourself. You talk to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, analyzing what is going on inside of you and around you. And he asks this question, how wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? What do you remind yourself of? Again, here, reminding in this whole psalm of God's truth, reminding that we're to seek the Lord. So preach to yourself. Talk to yourself. Well, if you speak audibly to yourself like that, people might, around you might think you're weird, but, but speak to yourself. Remind yourself of truth. Not only as we rest in the goodness of God, we are to secondly know the truth that he will never leave you. Notice what he says here. He's asking, cast me not, forsake me not, God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me. It may be reference to maybe his parents have passed away or something like that to that effect. But the Lord will take me in. He recognizes that, yes, he's praying that the Lord will never leave him, but he also recognizes that he will never see the Lord's back. 1 Timothy 4, 16, and 18, it says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. This is Paul talking. May not be held against them, but he says, But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Hebrews 13 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The problem is is that we often don't feel that God is with us, right? We don't feel his presence. Don't get me wrong. Feelings are good to have. This psalm here is full of feeling. It's good to have feelings. But it isn't his feelings that is controlling his life here in this psalm. It is the truth that he knows about who God is, what God has done, and the promises God makes in his day of trouble. Another lesson we learn is be teachable. He wants to know God's will. Teach me your way, O Lord. Oftentimes we're not teachable. He's not being directed by his feelings, but oftentimes fear can cause us to do crazy things, act in rash ways, but... He wants to be taught. Lord, what are you teaching me in this time? 
And it's even scarier to think, Lord, don't take me out until I've learned it. That's a more challenging prayer, isn't it? But if we want to live lives that bring glory to God, if he is our number one, if we, we're here for his glory, we want all that he has for us, right? Be open to be taught. Teach me your way. And believe in the power of prayer. I love what it says in verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of God in the land of the living. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know what? Answers to prayer may not always happen the way that you think. It might not happen to the way that he thinks here. But he knows the power of prayer. He knows that God will answer prayer. And he will give us the grace we need to go through every trial that we face. As I said, he was still in the day of his trouble. He doesn't know what God was going to do. And he might be, and as he's speaking to us here too, we, he believed that he will look upon the goodness of God in the land of the living. He believed that God would answer in, in, in a positive way, that God will take him through this so that he can see again the goodness of God. Question is, well, why does God make us wait? A friend of mine points out, he says, God makes us wait in order to prepare us to receive what he's going to give. That's oftentimes why he causes us to wait. God makes us wait in order to make us more fervent in prayer. So God often makes us wait to prove our faith and to perfect our patience. Yeah, helps us in our patience. In order, and also in order to magnify God and his grace and his providence, his work of providence. So here we have David in the midst of his day of trouble, seeking the Lord in all that the Lord is, recognizing he recognizes that we do live in a fallen world and that the world is not operating the way that it should be, but also that there's a God of awesome grace who meets you and me in the moments of darkness and difficulty because you can face everything if Jesus is your everything. I think as we think about that and as we ponder that, I think that is the CPR that our heart has needed here this morning. Courageously embrace truth. Pursue the Lord in everything and rest in the goodness of God while you wait. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We praise you again for our time here this morning. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your encouragement this morning. I just pray, Lord God, that you'll use my feeble words to encourage your people. 
all for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.